Welcome to First Baptist Belton. By God's grace, we aim to be a gospel-centered people that know Jesus intimately, serve Jesus passionately, and share Jesus globally. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you enjoy the following message. Christmas morning is so fun when you have little kids. It's like Christmas becomes, you kind of become a little kid all, all of a sudden. This morning we opened up all the presents and man, we just had so much fun as a family. I hope you did as well. Uh, such a sweet time. We're so grateful for that. So this morning we're going to be in Luke 1. If you have a Bible, go ahead and turn there. We're going to be Luke 1. As we continue our Christmas series, you know, we've been tracking through the Bible. Uh, we began in the book of Genesis. Who, who knew that the Christmas story began all the way back in the very first book of the Bible in Genesis? That's pretty wild, isn't it? Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, we talked about that a couple of weeks ago as, you know, the fall of humankind, God and Adam and Eve, God creates Adam and Eve, they're created to live in perfect harmony and relationship with God, the Father, they're walking with Him in this perfect, sweet relationship, and, and then what we know is, is that Adam and Eve chose to take a step outside of the will of God, and they sin, and because of that step that they took, and that disbelief, and and, and step of, of distrust in God. From that moment on, that perfect relationship was severed for all of eternity, right? And then in Genesis chapter three, God makes this really great covenant and promise. And he says, hey, listen, there's a day coming when, when I'm gonna raise up an offspring. That offspring is gonna come to the earth. He's gonna crush the head of the serpent. He's gonna put an end to sin and shame and death and all of those things. I'm gonna make that relationship that we once had. I'm gonna make that right again. Right, that's the promise of Genesis chapter three, verse 15. And, and then last week, we looked at Micah chapter five, verses one through five. What a cool, cool chapter of the Bible that that is, is we see a prophecy of that same coming king, that Genesis 3:15 king, and, and God reinstates uh, that covenant promise. We kind of see the hopelessness of Israel during that point, right? They had given themselves to idolatry. They had fallen all, fallen all kinds of different things. Priests had gone after money and bribes. They're no longer, they're no, no longer serving the Lord or speaking on his behalf. It really, honestly, Israel's a mess. And yet what we see there is that God doesn't leave them in their mess, but rather he comes to them and, and, and reinstates that promise yet again that a, a savior is to come. And this savior is gonna come and put an end to sin and shame. And, and not only is he gonna do that, but he's also gonna be the subject of their peace. And so the challenge that I had for us last week was asking the question, who is your peace? Where are you finding your peace? And, and the way we landed the plane last week was that at the end of the day, there's, there's only one who can bear the weight of your peace, and that is Jesus himself. He is the subject of our peace. And so... As we look at that Micah 5, that chapter, that prophet, great prophecy of the Bible, it's helpful to keep in mind that when Micah was writing that prophecy, it's about 722 BC. That's a long time ago. A lot of life has been lived since then, right? God has spoken to his people in many ways and many times, and then suddenly after about a 200-year period, God goes silent. Can you imagine that? God going silent? Up to this point in history, God had risen up prophet after prophet to speak on his behalf to his people. And then all of a sudden, God doesn't raise up another prophet. So we're talking about a over 400 year period of silence where God's people had not heard the word of the Lord. 
So the people are living in exile. They're living under oppression and hardship under Roman government. Jewish people, many would say, had become disillusioned to the arrival of the Messiah. Well, maybe he's not gonna come after all. Many false messiahs have come and gone. Tradition has waned and the people are oppressed. And that, that Messiah, that Genesis 3.15, Micah 5, Messiah that they'd been longing for, waiting for in this moment of silence, seemed like a figment of their imagination. You know, days are long, many people are just trying to get through the day, provide for their family, and just make it, just survive. And so as we turn to the New Testament, this is, this is the context by which we read from the book of Luke. This is what's happening when Luke is writing. And so he's recording the events of the Messiah and he's speaking to a friend of his called Theophilus. And that's what we're gonna see here in chapter one in just a minute. But what he's saying here, he said, hey, listen, Theophilus, what you've heard, the, the tradition that you've heard of this coming Messiah, it's, it's true. In fact, you can have great certainty that the arrival of the Messiah is actually here, that that Genesis 3.15, that Micah 1, 5, 1 through 5, Messiah that you've heard about, he's here. He has come. And that's point number one, is that this morning we can have great certainty that our Messiah, that our Savior, has in fact arrived you can have great certainty of that truth. And matter of fact, you'll see that in chapter one, verse one. This is Luke writing. He says, and as much as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have happened, the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those from who the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have declared them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all these things very closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. And notice this, that you may have certainty, that you may have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught. Now when we talk about certainty, what is it that we mean by, by certainty? What does it mean to, to be certain of something? Well, to be certain means that we can have great confidence that something is true. And so what Luke has in mind for you this morning as we read this story, what Luke wants you to see is he wants you to be able to walk away from this room and have great certainty that, that what we are reading is in fact true. Now, well, why is that? Well, if you notice from chapter one, Luke's, Luke takes us back to the eyewitness accounts. He says, listen, I'm writing to you as a historian Right, a, a very detailed, orderly person. He said, I'm writing to you very carefully what I have learned from eyewitnesses. This is not opinion. This is not something that I have made up or that somebody else has made up, but rather this is, I'm recording for you what eyewitnesses have said of this Messiah. But not only that, he actually records three different groups of people who also affirm that Jesus is the Messiah as well. In Luke chapter two, he records the shepherds. Maybe you recall that story where the shepherds receive word from an angel that, that, that the Messiah is here. And so they make their way. They follow the star. They make their way to that manger. And what they find in verse 20 is that there he is, lying in a manger. And what do they do in verse 20? They worship him as a sign of affirmation that he truly is the king of which they had been told about all those years or all those days ahead of time. Just after his birth, when Jesus is presented at the temple, a man of God named Simeon, awaiting the arrival of the king, when he's presented at the temple, he proclaims Jesus, affirms him as the coming Messiah. 
You'll see that there in verse 34. Finally, there's a woman of God named Anna, known to be a prophetess, who also confirmed Jesus is the redeemer of Israel in verse 38. So it's not only that Luke records these eyewitnesses of counts of all these things that have happened, but he even says, hey, listen, there is, in fact, many who have affirmed that as well. So it's important for us to know that we can have great certainty this morning that the subject of our peace has in fact arrived and his name is Jesus. His name is Jesus this morning. That leads us to point number two. You know, in, in, in Genesis chapter one, we see that God speaks creation by the word of his power. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago, but you're gonna see this morning too that just like creation, God speaks salvation into motion by the very name of Jesus. By his very name, God speaks salvation into motion. It's really helpful as you consider the Christmas story as Luke records it. You might pick up with me in chapter one, verse 26. Luke writes, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary, and he came to her and he said, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying, and she tried to discern what kind of greeting that this might be. But look what the angel tells her. He says, oh, Mary, do not be afraid, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb, and you will bear a son, and that son shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. There will be no end. His name will be called Jesus. Now, moms and dads in the room, do you recall that day when you first found out that you were pregnant? You remember that day? Y'all remember that day? I remember it very, very well. Man, we were so excited. I can't, I'll never forget the day when, when Jordan came into our bedroom and said, babe, I got a surprise for you. I didn't think it was gonna be what she said it was gonna be <laughs> because that excitement uh, really kind of gave way to my emotions and my blood pressure rising as uh, all of the fear set in of, oh my gosh, we're gonna bring a child into the world. Uh, but I was so excited about that. And one of my favorite things about, about those days were getting to name my kid, right? There was this kind of excitement about getting to name him. And I, I had all these cool names that I'd picked out and there's this pressure, right? Of like, I wanna name him something that matters, that means something. You know, but at the same time, I'm thinking, okay, but middle school's coming. And middle school's hard enough and so, so I don't, wanna, I don't wanna make middle school any harder than it has to be, right? And so I'm thinking about, I wanna name them something meaningful, but I'm also like, you know, I wanna protect them a little bit here too. So I come up with all these names. Of course, Jordan shoots every one of them down. Um, I'm not bitter about it at all. It was so much fun. We had a great time. But it was so fun, you know? It was fun getting to name our kid. But as I read this story, one of the things that sticks out to me is that Mary never got to name her kid. She never, got to, she never got to name her firstborn son. You notice that? Joseph never got to come to Mary and say, hey, I got all these really cool names and for her to shoot them down and say, that's not gonna work. They never got that experience. They never experienced what that might be like. See, when the angel shows up to Mary, he, he makes a declarative statement over her son. 
He says to Mary, he says, Mary, your son, the one that's, whom is in your womb, his name is gonna be Jesus. It's gonna be Jesus. And here's why. Here's why Mary never gets that opportunity. The name Jesus comes from the Hebrew word Yeshua. It means the Lord is our salvation. The reason why Mary was never given that opportunity is because within her womb is the promise of God's salvation. He was given that name by God himself so that no one, no one could question his identity. He is in fact the Lord's salvation. God speaks salvation into motion by the very name of Jesus. Man, how cool is that? But he doesn't just name him Jesus. He also tells Mary that her baby who is in her womb will be called the son of the most high, that he will sit on David, his father's throne forever. And here's what's really, really neat about that. That fulfills the prophecy from Jeremiah 33. How about that? Jeremiah 33, verses 14 through 18. Here's what the word of the Lord says. It says, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the promise that I made to the house of Israel and to the house of Judah. In those days and at that time, I will cause a righteous branch to spring up for David. And he shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. And in those days, Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will dwell securely. And this is the name by which he will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. In other words, this is the name that he will be called. The Lord is our salvation. For thus says the Lord, David shall never lack a man to sit on the throne of the house of Israel forever. Wow, that's pretty cool. Here, Jeremiah forecasts the day that is coming when a son of David will come. And when he does, he's going to make all things right on heaven and on earth. And with him, he's going to bring about a salvation and the security of his people. He will be the subject of his peace and of our peace. And he will be all powerful. He will reign and he will rule for all of eternity. And his, his very name will serve as a reminder of God's faithfulness to his people. Wow. How cool. God speaks salvation into motion in the very name of Jesus so that for those of you who are like me and who are forgetful for, can never forget who he is. He is our salvation. So those moments when you try to pick yourselves up by the bootstraps in your life and, and you try to work for your salvation and you're looking and trying to do all these things and you're showing up to church and you're trying to do all the right things and say all the right things and do all the right, all the right stuff, you're reminded that those things are not your salvation, but that Jesus is your salvation. By his very name, he's declared our salvation. Wow. But there's more. See, God speaks salvation into existence in the very name of Jesus, but what Mary didn't realize at the time, what Mary had no idea at the time, and sure, she knew that, that the baby that was in her womb, she knew that, wow, this is, this is the Messiah of the world. Wow, this is great. But what she didn't know is that the very one in whom was in her womb was also God himself. God in human form. 
You know, in fact, John records Jesus declaring this very well in John chapter 10, verses 27 through 30. He says, my sheep hear my voice and, and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand for my father who has given them to me. He is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. And, and notice this, this is what Jesus says. For I and the father are one. I and the Father are one here. And in many other passages, Jesus makes this declarative statement that he and God are one. The importance of this is to say that the baby that Mary was carrying in her womb all those years ago was not merely the son of God, but was actually God himself in human form. Guys, this is the miracle of Christmas. The miracle of Christmas is that when all seemed hopeless, God didn't send another prophet. He didn't raise up another prophet to come and declare a message. God sent himself to declare his very own message that he alone is our salvation. Wow, it's amazing. The point number three is that in Jesus, God brings heaven down to earth. In Jesus, God brings heaven down to earth. When Israel is at her wit's end, Isaiah proclaims the day of salvation. Chapter seven, verse 14, Isaiah writes, Hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary men that you would weary my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin Mary shall conceive and bear a son and you shall call his name, what? Emmanuel, I love this. When uh, Matthew is referencing this prophecy, this is what he says. Matthew defines Emmanuel to mean that God is with us. God himself is with us. Eugene Peterson describes this very, very well. He says that the word of God became flesh and blood and he moved into our neighborhood. Isn't that cool? That God moved into our neighborhood. He didn't stay up there, he moved into our neighborhood. How many of you guys have ever relocated? Maybe you've moved into a, a new community. Handful of you, yeah? So when I was a kid, we moved to Houston. We moved from Odessa, Texas, all the way to Houston to the big city, right? You know, new house, new community. We knew no one. We were, we were strangers to that place. I mean, we knew nobody. I remember going to my freshman year of high school and there were like 2,000 kids in my class. And I, it was so weird. Like I, I would meet some people and then by the end of the day, I'd never see them again. It was, it was wild. I was a complete stranger to this new school, this new community. You know, we didn't know where all of the local restaurants were. We had no idea, you know, how to fight the crazy traffic and to make our way through all that, that craziness. We didn't know any of those things. We were complete strangers. But you know, it didn't take us long, right? We joined football leagues and basketball leagues, soccer leagues, all this stuff. We even got kicked out of one league, which that's, that's a story for a different time. Um, but, but it didn't take us long to, to, to integrate ourselves into that community, right? All of a sudden, we kind of began to talk their language. We kind of dressed like them, what the popular kids was wearing, were wearing. Of course, we had to do the same thing. And you know, we, we looked like them, dressed like them. We started acting like them, right? We knew where the local restaurants were. We were no longer those people. We knew, we knew where the locals hang out, you know? We, uh, we knew how to kind of fight the traffic and get around and all those things. We, we became part of the community. Well, in the same way, that's the beauty of the incarnation. 
It's the fact that while Jesus was a stranger to this earth, he subjected himself to this world, to the sin, to the brokenness, to the hardship of this world. He came to us. He didn't stay up there, out of reach, but rather he comes to us. We didn't have to go to him, but rather he put on flesh and bud and subjected himself to the sin and the hardships of this world. He was born of a woman just like you and I were. He had imperfect parents just like you and I. Right? He worked a job. He went to school. He was normal, normal. Can you imagine being Jesus' brother, by the way? Can you imagine parenting Jesus? That's a different point. Uh, all that to say is, is Jesus became just like you and I. He entered into our neighborhood and he became just like you and me. Here's the importance of all of this. Because of the incarnation, because that God became flesh and dwelt among us, he knows what it's like to enjoy life and have fun on this earth. He knows how to have fun. He knows how to have a great time. He went to weddings and celebrations, right? He had great friendships. All the wonderful things that you experience in your life, he experienced too. He knows the deeper sides of joy and true happiness and what all those things look like on this side of heaven. He knows all of it. And yet in the same way, he also knows what it's like to be lonely. He knows what it's like to be misunderstood. Can you imagine how understood he must have felt? God and flesh on this earth. He knows what it's like to be misunderstood. He understands the struggle of fighting sin. He knows what pain is really like. He even knows what it's like to experience great loss. He knows all of the good things on this earth. He also has experienced all of the heartache that we have on this earth. You know, I'm so grateful for Hebrews chapter four, verse 15. It's a beautiful, beautiful verse. The writer of Hebrews says, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect, not just in a little bit of life, but in every respect has been tempted just as we are, and yet he was without sin. Listen, this is, this is so great. When we feel alone, when we feel misunderstood, when, when we feel like nobody gets us, here's what you can trust. The God of the universe gets you. He understands you because God is with us. Because of Jesus and him coming to this earth, becoming a man, putting on flesh and bone, he gets you this morning. And so maybe you're, you're experiencing Christmas for the very first time without a loved one. He gets you. Maybe you've been diagnosed with some rare form of cancer or disease of some kind. I want you to know that Jesus gets you. Maybe you're a long way off from all of your family this Christmas. He gets you. 
Maybe, you're, you're, maybe this Christmas is wonderful. Maybe it's just filled with joy and all of your family is here and, and man, you're celebrating. Maybe this is the first time that you've gotten to do that in a long time. Listen, I wanna tell you that Jesus gets you and he's, he's, he's right there in the midst of the celebration and, and, and the gathering of your family. How wonderful. The beautiful part of the Christmas story is that because God came to us, he gets us and he is with us and he will never leave us or forsake us. In Romans eight, Paul says this with great certainty. He says, neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. He sees you, he knows you, he loves you, and he gets you. He's with you and he'll never leave you, he'll never forsake you. The writer of Hebrews says this with great confidence, therefore we can draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Listen, we can boldly step into the presence of God knowing that he is here, knowing that he is with us and we don't have to fear because he beckons us to come near, to draw near to him, to find peace and rest and joy in him and in him alone. The beauty of the Christmas story is that God is not indifferent to us or to our experiences, but again, rather, he is with us. That is, listen, as Christians, we are the only ones that this is true for. There's no other religion where the God that they worship came to earth to give their life for you and for me. There's, there, there's no humanistic principle that offers that kind of salvation. There's no other religion that offers that kind of salvation. Only the God of the Bible comes to the earth in his very own person through Jesus to give his life for you and for me so that you would have a relationship with him and experience the joy, the peace, the everlasting joy and everlasting peace for all of eternity. How amazing is that? That is the gift of Christmas that you and I are celebrating. For in Jesus, God brings heaven to earth so that all who might believe in him would have everlasting life. Everlasting life. Listen, if you're in the room and you have never said yes to Jesus, you've never taken that step to him, and it, there's, there's never been a better day for you to say, you know what, I want that joy. I want that peace. I want all those things that Jesus offers. As a matter of fact, I wanna experience his nearness. Listen, you can make that decision today. I'm gonna be down here this, right, right after the service. I'd love to talk with you. I'd love to pray with you. You can go right outside to our Connection Central. They'd love to talk with you about how you can begin that relationship as well. Listen, there, again, there's never been a better day for you to say yes to Jesus. For everybody else in the room, you've already said yes to Jesus. Hey, listen, you can lift your head this morning. You can lift your eyes. You can lift your chin because we have great hope. For the God of the universe is with us. He is for us. So we can say, well then who can be against us? No one, no one. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for your goodness and your grace to us. God, that you are not indifferent to our experiences, but rather you know us because you are with us. Oh Lord, we're so grateful for that truth this morning. Thank you for the gift of Jesus. Thank you for the gift of Christmas. God, that you have drawn near to us. 
God, I pray this morning that you would transform our hearts and our minds, that we would love you more because of what you have done for us in Christ Jesus. It's in his sweet name that we pray, amen. If you would like more information, please visit fbbelton.org or call our church office at 254-939-0705. We are located at 506 North Main Street. We hope to see you soon.